what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh with that jays jump jaron jackson jr john Rains, joe johnson jaw rafts of course we've got jays we've got for day J- we've got days we've got jays wow are you okay? Are you, have your ears exploded yet? We've got Are Jays. Are you we've okay? Got, I want to make we've sure. Got Jays, we've got it for days. Josh, how are you doing? More important question is how are you doing? Um, two and a half hours of sleep. So running on empty would be a an accurate description, but I'm okay. Glad to hear it. I would like to take a, take a moment to recognize the one and only Monte Morris outdueled Steph Curry. At the end of that game last night? You know, when I mentioned four minutes ago that the Warriors lost at home to Denver and that I was annoyed that the Grizzlies lost at home to the Blazers because they didn't get to pick up a game, and you emphatically responded with, yeah, they did. I, I almost did a double take. And I was like, why? Why did, you, why, why did you know that and were so emphatic about it? But now it all makes sense. It's only um, the defining moment of Monte Morris's NBA career. <laughs> that he had 13, 6, and 4 on he a had their, random He had their Wednesday final night. five points. He had a game. He had a three at the buzzer to win. And he scored the bucket before that, too. Okay. He and Steph were going back and forth for a couple of possessions. He got the better of them. <laughs> okay. You know what? I think Steph is going to sleep okay. I think I, Steph slept okay last night. I, I think he did. I agree. <laughs> Just wanted I couldn't let that moment pass. And Yamante had just come off a three-game absence due to concussion protocol. He got right back in there, got his team a win, headed into the all-star break. It really is, in all seriousness, just one of those. There was he was never supposed now, of course. I always thought he was gonna be able to do exactly what he's doing, but it's always fun to see these guys who are never supposed to make it and find a way to not only make it, but to have productive NBA careers where they are positive contributing members to good basketball teams mm. he very much falls into that category so had to bring it up i think i would have to concede that monte morris falls into that category of professional basketball player yes so shouts to monte morris and now it all makes sense i was like why did you, why do you care that the warriors lost at home to the nuggets now at all now did you just see the highlights on Twitter this morning or did you actually see it happen? No, I actually, I actually saw his tweet. <laughs> he tweeted some, he tweeted some pictures of the buzzer beater. And so then I, of course, promptly did some research to figure out exactly the context. You know, you know how when you're on a box score at ESPN and on the side, there's like videos, there are clips of the game. <laughs> how is that shot not a clip of the game? Great question. Was, don't worry, Steph has three. Close. Don't worry. Don't worry. I know you're worried. Yeah, I was very concerned. Anyways, that is not something to get hyped to get all worked up about this morning. Um, college basketball. It happened as as a as the host of one of the shows I produce on a weekly basis. We got lots of college basketball to talk about. We got lots of college basketball to talk about, and some. Josh, would it be fair to describe some of these outcomes as unforeseen? Maybe just one of them in particular. You could talk me into all the rest of them, but Kentucky losing by double digits to Tennessee. Um, I perhaps, perhaps because it was at Tennessee that you could talk me into it, 
but certainly what I wasn't prepared for was Tennessee to outscore Kentucky by 14 and score 46 in the first half. Yeah. That's got to be Tennessee's most points scored in a half all season. Got to be. Probably. Unless it's against, you know, 10 buck two state at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's either going to be here, here. Here we go. It's either going to be UT Martin at the very beginning of the season. Nope. That's 33. No, that's 43. How many points we have? 46. Okay. Not that game. East Tennessee state. That's 46. So we have a tie. And there's one more where they had like 96 against UC upstate USC upstate. Real barn burner there. Okay. USC upstate. They lost by 46 and Tennessee had 51 in the first half. Ah, But anyways, Tennessee would have lost by one if Tennessee played one half and USC upstate played (laughs) two halves. Um, Are you trying to suggest that game was not particularly competitive? I'm trying to suggest that the 272nd at Kempom, (laughs) USC upstate trivia time. What's the USC upstate uh, mascot? Oh goodness, I have no clue. And and they're and they're in Spartanburg, South Carolina. They gotta be the Spartans. That's correct. They're the USC Upstate Spartans. That's correct. Um, but Tennessee also had forty-seven in the second half against Texas A&M. Did that out there? Mm-hmm. Well, then just burst my hold arm bubble. Why don't you, Josh? Just burst the whole thing. Fine. But the, the point of we had to go looking. <laughs> um, you had four guys in double figures. Um, for Tennessee, they knocked down eight three pointers, but you know, got to the free throw line 23 times. Um, but really, Kentucky was just not good offensively in this one 23 of 67 from the field, only five of 16 from the three point line. Some of your more exciting, I mean, Oscar Sheway going five of 15 from the floor is a little like anybody else going four of 34 from <laughs> right. the field. Um, it's kind of it's kind of like the Virginia effect that you have to put it in context. Yep. yep. And then when you combine it with that, Ty Ty Washington played only 13 minutes. Severe Wheeler was four of ten from the field. Just not a great night all around for the Wildcats. Um, com- coupled with a quick start for Tennessee, and what you get is a 13 point loss. Yeah. And before we get into the the game itself, Tennessee has scored at least 50, not 50, 72 points in their last. Five games. Every game this month, they scored at least 72. Mm. Now, this is the first huge test they've had, right? It's been more of your average SEC teams. But this game, you talked about at the, you know, at the beginning, this idea of most of these you could see coming at least to a certain extent. And certainly because Tennessee just doesn't lose at home, the idea of them winning this game is not shocking. But this is the game. The rest of them, I don't feel like change too much for me Tennessee is getting to the point where we need to change the conversation about them because if they can keep scoring the ball this way it is a different discussion for the simple reason that they can beat anybody in the country if they score 72 points every game (laughs) not that they're going to win every single one but they are absolutely capable of doing this to anybody when they play that well offensively and when you, they shoot 47% from three, which isn't going to happen every day. But to, to the Kentucky offensive struggles, one of the things that I love about this Tennessee team and one of the reasons I was so excited about them is they have this rare ability 
I feel like to completely take a team out of sync offensively. I feel like some teams are just really fundamentally sound defensively and they're just hard to score against, but very few can actually completely take you out of your element, right? It's what Baylor did to Villanova earlier this season and teams just look lost. To me, Tennessee has the ability to do that. They don't do it every night. They're not the best defensive team in the country. Obviously they're very good, but that is something special when you compare it with any kind of offensive punch. And when you have your three guards all playing really well and taking Kentucky's more or less out of the game, that's the kind of opportunity you have to get this double digit win over the team. Everybody is talking about as one of the national title favorites, maybe the best team in the country. You know, everybody's hopping on Kentucky and, to me, part of this is this is what I thought Tennessee could be, and they, they haven't always delivered, right? But this idea of Kennedy Chandler is good enough to unlock everything. You can move Santiago Vescovi off the ball, and you've got this elite point guard production, which allows them to score 72, 74 points, right? That's all they need in theory. And the added addition of Zakai Ziegler, who was not supposed to be what he is, if they can keep this up, they're going to be one of the most dangerous teams, in my mind, come the NCAA tournament, assuming the offense holds together. And this is a legit thing, which I'm leaning, I'm starting to believe it is just because this isn't one game. This isn't three games. This is the month of February. They have been doing this consistently. The only thing I'll say is that when you go back through, like, in the the truly good teams they've played this year, we have 53-point performance. And I know this was a different point of the season, so my only – the only shtick would be this is the first time that they've scored enough points to mm-hmm. keep up with a truly good team. Right. This is the first time we have seen this. Yeah. And, and they're – and Kentucky just was going to beat the Golden State Warriors on January 15th when they scored 107. Like, nobody was going to stop them on that particular night. But, you know, 68 against Alabama, 52 against Texas Tech in overtime, 53 against Villanova. And, again, the Villanova game was three months ago now. So I certainly concede that this is – that teams figure it out. And apart from the 52-51 loss to Texas at the end of January – you could go one more game against Florida than they, you know, scored 64 and 68 respectively right after that Kentucky game, but their defense was good enough that that's all they needed. Um, That would be my only other thing. Now, if they go, if like, so they play Arkansas twice still and they play Auburn, like if they have a game, if they beat Arkansas at least one of those times, and if they are if they are able to score somewhere in the ballpark of 70 against Auburn, even if they end up losing the game, which it's at Tennessee. So they very well could, could win that game. Ask the Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah. Um, um, then, then I'm certainly hopping on the train a little bit more than maybe I am right now. That's the only other thing is that this is, this might be the first time this year against a truly good team that they actually scored enough points and, and Arizona, excuse me. They did beat Arizona 77, 73. Uh, I don't want to not give them credit for that one, but that would be the only thing I would say. Um, but, but you're right. Um, 
when Kennedy Chandler plays well, it makes playing well for everybody else uh, that much easier. And, and that's where seeing this a second time changes the conversation for me because now we're talking about a team who has wins over two likely number one seeds, maybe a one and a two, depending on how things shake out with Kentucky. Arizona's going to be a one, barring a mm-hmm. catastrophic collapse. And has zero bad losses, as we discussed. Mm. Right? Because coming into this game, I was more where you were of, okay, they did it. They right, they blitzed Arizona, who hadn't really seen a team like that before. And they hung on for the win. So that's terrific for Tennessee. But you can easily point to that as a one-off because every other good team they've played has been a similar story. Mm. Now, we're, they have done it twice now. <laughs> And so, yes, you would like to see a little bit more consistency, but I am, I'm ready to jump on this thing and believe this is for real. Um, the only other thing I would like to touch on here is I'm beginning to get a little, a little bit, not a, not a lot of it, okay, a little bit worried about Ty Ty Washington in big games, a little bit worried. Not a, not a lot of it, because the last time they played Tennessee, Ty Ty Washington had, what was it, 28 on, and he, he didn't miss, something like that. Yeah. But since then, since they beat Tennessee on January 15th, against Auburn, he, he got hurt, so it's yep. a little different. But four points in nine minutes, he was probably going to have a good game there. He had four points in – no, sorry, that's Davion. He had four points, two or three shooting. He probably would have had a better game than that had he not gotten injured. But against Kansas, a game that they didn't really need him to, but he had two points on one of nine from the field. And then in this particular game against Tennessee, he had four points in 13 minutes. So I'm just that, that's that, that kind of thing is just back here in my mind a little bit, not not a lot of it. I don't want to I don't want to overreact so, about Ty Ty Washington performances in the regular season because he's clearly very special and clearly. And, and I guess that what I'm getting to is that Kentucky is special when he is good, not mm-hmm. when he is not good. Kentucky yeah. is good when he is not good, but Kentucky is special when he is special. And, yeah. and that's the only, so just thinking, just like, just, just, it's like kind of, it's pitching a tent kind of in the back corner. We'll, we'll, we'll let it hang around because I don't want to forget that. Not really all that worried about him making a scene back there, but I'll hold on to it just a little bit um, moving forward. But that's the only thing I would add. The only other thing I would add here. Yeah. They're not good enough to, to absorb another loss, especially him. And mm-hmm. part of this is he's still banged up and was sure. up in the air whether he was even going to play in this game. And it looked, and I was just looking, and I think Cal has basically said I shouldn't have played him. So, but that is that is the point that you're making, right? Is heading into Sweet 16, Elite Eight, and you know SEC tournament championship game, something like that. He's getting up there in terms of the all important team. He's probably not a first teamer, mm-hmm. but it's a different discussion with Kentucky when you don't have Ty Ty Washington at full strength. You're absolutely right. He is Man, that I... sort of extra piece that takes them from great to elite. 
Man, I love the all-important team. You got anything else on this game before I seamlessly transition using the all-important team? Yeah, well, I was, <laughs> was going to say, I feel like Colin Gillespie might have taken our comments about his Villanova legacy personally. He might have, <laughs> but that's an all-important team guy right there. 33? <laughs> Absolutely. Are you kidding me? 33, and, and, and not 33 against DePaul. 33 in a game on the road when you needed all 33 to win the game. He had 33. Justin Moore added 19 and 10. He's such a – I saw John Fanta tweet this during the game. He, he, he described it as he is such a smooth basketball player. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good way to describe it, that he's yeah. just a very smooth basketball player. Um, that was the majority of the scoring. Brandon Slater had 13, but nobody else had more than nine. But that's, of course, the story here is that Colin Gillespie, a guy we've always known, is – first team all important and is the nucleus that this Villanova basketball team revolves around. He had a very, very special night on a very, very big night inside the dunk 33 points. What a, what a game 89, 84. They win. They beat the Providence Friars. What say you, we apologize. Colin <laughs> First of all, please don't get mad at us. And I, I guess this ankle injury just, isn't a major concern anymore. Well, that's what that's what happens when we get in his head. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that I'm not saying that that we're the reason he had 33, but I'm also not completely ruling it out that we weren't. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Can't rule it out. Yeah. It's, give give credit to him for and more too. You know, they're both nowhere near 100. Mm-hmm. percent Maybe they're pretty close the way they played, but they weren't supposed to be 100, percent and they looked every bit their normal selves. Just remarkable toughness. The dude is, and he's, I, I realized this. They said this during the broadcast. He's getting close to passing Phil Booth for the most games in Villanova history. I think he's, he's going to do it if he stays healthy. Yeah. I don't remember what's impressive what the, considering how many games he's missed. Right. That's what I thought. It, oh, because, and then there was right there was that season where Phil Booth missed too. Yeah. So maybe that's right. why, but he's, in terms of legacy, that's another part of this. I think he's, if I remember correctly, he is going to end up, knock on wood, as the, most experienced Villanova Wildcat of all time. So he's got that going for him. How about that? Uh, I feel like Ed Cooley is just really frustrated. It's one of those, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed situations. (laughs) They were so bad defensively, especially Mm -hmm. on the perimeter. It was Justin Moore in the first half. He got open a couple times and then he started feeling himself. And by that point it was over. And then, of course, Gillespie just took over from there. Just fundamental breakdowns of all different kinds, not paying attention to guys on the three-point line on out-of-bounds plays, going under screens, not closing guys out effectively. So you gave Gillespie that extra three inches he needed to get his shot off, and you can contest it. But at that point, if he's got the space and he wants to take it and he elevates before you're really in his, his air space, it's over. When he's playing this well, same thing with Justin Moore. Mm-hmm. That was, and part of me always hesitates to do this because I don't want to take away from the team that won. But I just have a Villanova. We know has defensive flaws, and they were on full display in this game that they just couldn't pe- keep people in front of them. Mm-hmm. I thought Providence was at a, another level defensively, and of course Villanova is right. To me, the ultimate story here is 
Villanova is maybe more than any other team in the country, the team that makes you beat them. If you make mistakes, they're going to destroy you and capitalize on every single one of them. And to me, that's what this was. I'm still not convinced they're a better team than Providence. But when Providence doesn't execute at a high level, Villanova is going to win this game eight times out of 10 on the road and 10 times out of 10 at home. They, they are too experienced. They are too surgical. You just can't give them, you can't give them those kind of opportunities and you can't make those mistakes defensively. They can because they can make up for it when you make mistakes. When you're trying to take down the team that dominates your conference, you got to be better defensively than Providence was. And 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 just the reality of the situation is is that Providence all Providence is maybe operating under the smallest margin of error that a twenty-one and three team has ever mm-hmm. operated in. Yeah, and we did the we talked and we won't don't have to completely rehash this because we did on the last podcast to a certain extent. But Providence isn't all that far away from being a very like respectable but also average 17 and 7 mm-hmm. they they have won i believe it is literally every single close game they've played this year yeah. to and, and to their credit they've won every single close game they've played this year i didn't think they should have won the ball game because i didn't think they deserved to but they still found a way to win the mm-hmm. ball game yeah. um but the point being is that to your point exactly and especially against a team like villanova even when yeah villanova is pretty pretty average defensively um, that, that they're going to be able to do things like sneak it, you know, get out of the dunk with a win, especially when Colin Gillespie does things like score 33 points, but that, that would be the thing I would. And the thing I keep coming back to about why Providence might be outside of the top 40 at Kim Palm is because those style, those style things matter. And Providence just doesn't do a whole lot of things all that stylish. No, anyways, not, not at all. Anyways. Uh, anything else on on that game? And in such a good, <laughs> I saw somebody tweet. It, it was such a good Big East game, and and that's that was the sentiment of the tweet. But at the end of the tweet, it was, "Thank God it's on the CBS Sports Network." <laughs> yeah. Like, Why is this game on the CBS Sports Network? I'm assuming it's because, and I don't remember specifically which games were also on Tuesday, but I'm guessing there was a, well, because the Wisconsin Indiana game was on ESPN. I don't know what was on FS1. I guess I'm guessing it was Ohio State, the Ohio State game and the Michigan State game. Let's see. I'm at the GameCast giving you play by play. I'm scrolling down. Nope. The Minnesota Ohio State game was on Big Ten Network. Might have been Michigan State. I'm guessing it was Michigan State. Thank God we the whole country got to see Michigan State lose to another team that they shouldn't lose to. Yeah. I I saw that when I was watching this game. I'm like, yeah, this is disappointing. This is on CBS Sports Network. Nope, that one was on BTN too. The Fox Sports oh. one must have had some other pre or you know prior yeah, obligation something. or something. Because it's kind of I'm I'm running out of reasons why this game wasn't on. Yeah. The the only other thing I wanted to say is from a game plan perspective, because these two teams are going to play at least once more. To me, Ed Cooley had it spot on. They. Providence did what Ed Cooley wanted them to do, and it, by and large, worked on the offensive end. They exploited Villanova off the dribble and dominated the paint. They just didn't defend Mm -hmm. the three-point line well and Mm -hmm. didn't defend Villanova's best shooters well. Because right there there aren't a lot of great shooters on this Villanova team. It's Gillespie and Mm Moore. The other guys you can live with. And 
Dave Lapis kept harping on this during the broadcast. He's absolutely right. You can't, you can't slag off of those two guys, though. And time after time, they gave him that extra little bit of space they need. And once they hit a couple, it was over because they, to their credit, I mean, they were both phenomenal and just kept making plays. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how this – I really think Providence has a good chance to win the rematch. The problem is you picked the wrong game to play poorly defensively because it's obviously easier to get the one at home. Mm-hmm. So can they learn from this? And do they do they have it in them to go into Villanova and get that win and reclaim control of the, the Big East? Or is this going to be Villanova just against all odds, continuing to find ways to – at least snag a share of this conference. That's going to be lit. Yeah. That's the last game of the season, March 1st at the Pavilion. Providence is 11 and 2 in conference, Villanova's 13 and 3. So that could vary that, that I would be surprised if that game doesn't decide the winner mm-hmm. of the conference. Yeah. Or at least dictate whether a team is going to win it outright or not. Yeah, right. Have some kind of ramifications for the conference title. Yeah. Right. But yeah, two two very good teams there in the in the Big East, and two teams that you know, no that, that nobody's going to want to play in March. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Okay, let's let's um let's do a Big Ten hosh posh, shall we? Let's do it. Let's start with Rutgers, dude. The rack, the rack. They're like like if you the rack, baby. All of us like. Rutgers is 10 and 5 in the Big Ten. 10 and 5. They're a game and a half a back game, yeah, Purdue. Right. They're a game back in the loss column. This is ridiculous. They could they could play themselves into con- legitimate con- contention like, as in tied for first place here. Like, like they pretty, keep this up. Like pretty <laughs> like in a, a week and a half, we went from Rutgers needs like has work to do to make the NCAA tournament to oh, wait a second. Is Rutgers gonna win the Big Ten? That's that's what's happening here. Um and it's because they keep beating teams like, like Illinois, seventy to fifty nine. Uh, they took care of the Illini at the rack, at the rack. Uh, Rutgers, you know, nobody did anything especially special. They have four guys in double figures, and um, it was a pretty slow night for anybody not named Kofi Coburn on the Illinois side of things. Yeah, Trent Frazier had eleven. That was about it. Mm-hmm. Andre Curbelo had one of his I'm not sure what we're getting from Andre Curbelo mm-hmm. night in night out games. Yep. Two points on one of six. And you know, Illinois got destroyed on the boards. Rutgers was just the more physical team. Mm-hmm. 46-28 the rebound yeah. margin. Yeah. Which should just never really happen when Kofi Coburn's out there. And but, to, to Kofi Coburn's credit, he had 10 rebounds. Right. Right, right. 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 <laughs> He, Kofi got his double double, <laughs> and hopefully Ron Harper Jr.'s okay. He mm-hmm. had a weird hand situation and, and left the game at the end. There was a moment there where I really thought that Illinois was going to make this a game, mm-hmm. and then Rutgers put another mini run together to officially put it out of reach because it was a twenty-one point game midway through the second half. I. I really, really want to act like I'm not surprised Rutgers is doing this. But it would be hypocritical because they're one of those teams that, you know, we talked about what kind of 
my preference for teams that are consistent and they are the epitome of inconsistent. They have beaten every ranked big 10 opponent they've played and still have five conference losses. Plus that three game stretch that we talked about before where they just lost to random teams. And there's no, I clearly they're just playing better and they got three of these four at home. So the thing I was trying to look at was, okay, Geo Baker was hurt for a stretch. They are 14 and seven, if I did my math right, with Geo Baker this year. But it's not like Geo Baker missed all of the losses that are bad. There were, there was a stretch in there where I think it's right. They got, so I think he lost, he was there. He was out for two of the losses at the beginning. So that's definitely a factor because he's a very important player, obviously. And even, you know, this game, he didn't have a particularly great scoreline, but he still created and, and that kind of thing. But I just, I feel like I, I want to, I want to be not surprised they're doing this. And, and the other part is I want to disregard those losses earlier and say, this is not a discussion whether they should make the NCAA tournament. This is who they are. They're proving it by doing this in the Big Ten. But it would just be hypocritical because they have some bad Big Ten losses too. It's a very strange situation. And it's not like they have a bad Big Ten loss on January 4th and 8th. Mm-hmm. They have bad Big Ten losses like as recently as February 1st. Right, right before this. <laughs> right, not right. They've gone on this ridiculous winning streak, beating Michigan State, Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Illinois. Shots to the rack. But then also, you know, going on the road to the Kohl Center and beating Wisconsin – you ha- add some validity for sure. But right before that, between January 12th and February 1st, they were one and three with losses to Minnesota, Maryland, and Northwestern. And they barely escaped Nebraska. Like that. And, and that's just not. So the point to, to your point, it's not like, it's not like they'd been impossible to beat at the rack all year. Yeah. Like they have a they have a they have a loss at home to Lafayette this year. Lafayette is now outside the top three hundred at Kempom. They've lost, they, you know, they lost to Maryland at home. Maryland ninety first at Kempom. So so it's a weird, it's a weird team to try to dissect because they absolutely have the wins of a NCAA tournament team. And if they would have just taken care of like three more of the teams that they're way better than. Right. This isn't a discussion. See the three game losing streak at the beginning of the season to DePaul, Lafayette and UMass. And that was the stretch where I believe Geo Baker, was, Geo Baker was unavailable for at least one of those, I believe. Ah, still. Yeah, right. That's our intramural team should would not right. have gone 0-3 in that stretch. And our intramural team was bad. <laughs> yeah, right. They've still got plenty of right. That's not. That's why I was trying to look and see is the, is there any explanation for that other than they just mm. didn't play well? And mm. I mean, Gio Baker certainly is part of it, but right, uh, you got plenty of guys over there that should be able to take care of that without. So, uh, quite a quite a wild season. I mean, we're sixteen and nine, and I mean, I don't have the net rankings right up here in front of me, but I, I'm going to go check because I'm I'm curious what they're quadrant breakdown looks like oh, and, and i'm gonna i'm gonna stall here as i scroll and find the scarlet knights how about we use the command f feature oh yeah there you go look at that Rutgers is is typed three words three times they're 75th in the net right now 
and they are their splits go six and three, two and three, two and two, six and one. Yep. So they have six, six of their nine losses are outside the first quadrant. Yep. That's really tough. That's really, really tough. Um, but nonetheless, here they are, and all of the other things remain true. Like, like if they had just beaten the teams that are supposed to in the Big Ten, they'd be winning the Big Ten right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you beat Maryland at home and then you get one of those games on the road, whether it's Northwestern, Minnesota, or Penn State, then you're winning the Big Ten right now. That's a ridiculous thing to think about considering the rest of their resume. Uh, anyways, anything else here? Yeah, I, I'll just – to me, the, the Big Ten record has to be the tiebreaker if this comes down to the wire sure. or to give them a little bit of a boost and bump them up a seed line, even though the losses are bad ones. And the, I, I, ultimately, when we get into conference playing, it's the Big Ten. I don't care as much about who you beat and who you lose to mm-hmm. when you are able to win you know, 67% of your Big Ten games. The other thing, I think we need to just start rooting for something like a five-way tie for the Big, big Ten regular season <laughs> title. I feel like that's where I'm we're at. That. I'm here for that. Right? Ohio State now is tied back in the lost column. Like we said, Rutgers, Michigan State, game back. All these, Some of these teams have extra games to play. Some don't. It's weird. Let's just have everybody end at six losses. Hey, um, Josh, will you remind me who's alone atop the Big Ten right now? Bio half game so will you remind me who's atop the big 10 right now it's the boilermakers the boilermakers baby (laughs) see i don't think you get to do that after they escaped northwestern and got blown up by michigan but that's you're right you're right and only beat maryland by one you're right yeah that's right that was in between yeah i'm just just giving matt painter his daily reminder that i have not given that i have not strayed away and here we are on february 17th and they're still first in the conference it's okay i was talking to a coworker of mine who was an Illinois grad last night as they were getting destroyed. And I told him, he asked me who I was cheering for. I said, well, I'm cheering for Illinois because my podcast co-host picked Purdue and just keeps giving me a hard time about it. So I really <laughs> need Illinois to do this. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so it's all, it's all fair. A um, couple other things from the big 10 here. Um, one, it really, so and this is something I've said on the podcast before, but 18, 19, and 20, Michigan State was 13th, 5th, and 10th in offensive efficiency. You know who was on the team in those three years? I'm going to say you're going for Cassius Winston. That's correct. Um, and then in the last two years, they were 98th in offensive efficiency last year, a team that was not good. Um, and this year, they're just they're outside the top 30. The point being is that it doesn't matter how good Michigan State looks. They're always going to be prone to nights where they just can't get a good look to save their lives. And they go 23 or 55 and 516 from the three-point line. That's the only thing I have to say about that. But, like, they're just not going to – because there have been some some times of, like, man, Michigan State. Like, Like, we just talked about, like, on the last podcast, we talked about Michigan State being like it, it was our question of if you didn't put Houston as mm-hmm. your last four seed, who was and Michigan State was one of the names we threw out there. But with that being said, I just they're they're always going to be and they're in a tough stretch, right? I mean, they beat Indiana at home, but they've lost three of their last four. Um, 
but it's just they're always going to be susceptible until they figure out how to get good shots consistently. They're always going to be susceptible to a 58-point night and a loss. They just are. So yeah, that's the only that's the only thing I had to say there. But I wanted to bring it up again because losing you shouldn't lose to Penn State if you're actually in the conversation for a four seed in the NCAA tournament. They're going to be one of the most difficult teams I feel like to project in the NCAA tournament. Oh, I can't wait to to pick the 12 seed that Michigan State is playing. I cannot wait. Right, either they're going because they could absolutely lose in the first round and have one of those games, or it could go well. And all of a sudden, you know what Tom Izzo can do, and here they are in the Elite Eight. Right. No clue how it's going to turn out. Yeah, I, I would be lying to you if I said I wasn't going to lean towards the the former <laughs> when it comes to because they, apart from their you know ten game win streak from December to January twelfth, where the best team that they played was Northwestern, they've. They've only won more than two games in a row. They've only won two games in a row once. They've gone loss, win, loss, win, win, loss, loss, win, loss. It's life in the Big Ten. And life of an inconsistent yeah. offensive basketball team. Right. To, to, to hammer home the point more specifically. Um, and then the only other thing I have before we get to Baylor and Texas Tech is – that on a night where Trace Jackson Davis has 30 points, eight rebounds, and six assists, that there's a guy on the t- on Indiana's team that took more shots than he did. That's ridiculous. Trace Jackson Davis had 38 and six against Wisconsin at Wisconsin, 10 of 13 from the field, got to the four- free throw line 14 times, and Xavier Johnson took more shots than he did. And I know what you're thinking, Josh. You're thinking, well, maybe he was having a good game as well. Right. He took 16 shots. Maybe he was feeling it. Maybe he had a 20 point game of his own and he's just like not quite as high volume, you know, uh, high efficiency of a score as Trace Jackson Davis. And that would be a fair thing to to ponder. Um, No, uh, Xavier Johnson was three of 16 from the field and had seven points and five turnovers. That's what Xavier Johnson did uh, on what was that Tuesday night against. I guess Wisconsin. And like if Trace Jackson Davis takes four more shots. Or, you know, those shots go somewhere else, you know, just like three of them, then Indiana has a chance to get a win. Yeah, at they Wisconsin. were right. They were right there. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, not at Wisconsin, at home. I apologize. But the point is still the same. Point is very much still the same. That, like, I would be absolutely livid as an Indiana fan if Trace Jackson Davis has that kind of game and he didn't take the most shots on my team and that Xavier friggin Johnson did anyways it, it it goes back to one of my fundamental beliefs about one of the most underrated parts of this sport which is just good decision making from the point guard position it doesn't always show up in the box score it's why I'm averse to assists as an evaluative tool right oftentimes if you're putting now sometimes when you put Trace Jackson Davis in a good position you're going to get an assist for it other times it's simply right. Get him the ball and let him do his thing because he's a your best player and B right scoring at will. Mm-hmm. Right. It's it's the simple things of can you just get your teammate good shot to your point about Michigan State and what Cassius Winston did. It wasn't just the numbers. It was mm-hmm. as you harp on all the time the effect the fact that you were felt confident you could get a good shot every time down the floor. When you have Trace Jackson Davis playing that way, you should be able to get a good shot every time down. The floor. 
which can be seen by his points or by his assists. The fact right. that he led the team in assists and it wasn't particularly close right. on, in that category either. Which, as I've talked about before, that, that scares me. Not as a criticism of him, of mm. that, to me, that means that they are not functioning the way that they should. Mm. Unless, unless, right, you're running everything through him, which is kind of what happened here because he was so dominant. But still, they didn't run enough. They didn't run enough through him. Obviously, that's the point you're making. Yeah. So. Which is impressive considering he had 30. <laughs> right. It's not like he had a low volume night. <laughs> right. Um, Johnny Davis had 30 as well. 30 and 12 on 10 of 15 shooting. Him and Brad <laughs> Davison combined to go for 20 of 24 from the free, free throw line. It's a lot of free throws. Yeah. Brad Davison had 21. Not a great shooting night, but he got to the line 10 times, so it didn't really matter. Um, Johnny Davis is making a real run at Natty Boy. Not that oh, absolutely. A, that, not that that's a new commentary, new thing, but we haven't mm-hmm. really talked. I mean, he just keeps doing it. He really does. He really does. Um, but those are my big 10 things. Thank you for humoring me. Um, really, the only reason I partook in the Indiana Hoosiers basketball game on Tuesday night was because I was required to by the nature of my job. But you know, we get how we get there is how we get there. That's you know, right. It's 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 a uh, it's it's about the journey, somehow. Um, Baylor, Texas Tech, at Texas Tech, Patrick Mahomes, greatness in attendance. Yeah, I mean, did you see? Random they, they quarterback thought. Did you see that Joe? Well, I think it was Joe Montana, but he wasn't ready to call Tom Brady the goat. Did you see this? This was like a week ago now. But after Tom Brady retired, Joe Montana was on ESPN and they asked him if he was the GOAT and he was like, I'm not sure I'm ready to go all the way there. It's like, oh, okay. I, I think I did see that, yeah. Anyways, very random. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was there. Not that that matters whatsoever, but Texas Tech, 83. The Baylor, Baylor, Baylor Bears, 73. Oh, I think it does matter. They were about to lose in front of Patrick Mahomes. Pat Daddy Mahomes? I, I'm more saying that sarcastically, but... <laughs> I hate ESPN. Patrick Mahomes celebrating as part of the Baylor at TTU videos on the side of the box score. I hate ESPN, man. <laughs> Anyways, 83-73, Kevin Obener, 23-13. and 13. Best game oh, is a Red Raider. Oh, please come back, Jonathan Chamo Chachua. Yeah. Um, three other guys in double figures for the Red Raiders. Losing at Texas Tech is something I'm not going to give you crap for. Um, but nonetheless, uh, a 10 point loss for the Baylor bears at the hands of the red Raiders. Yeah. The only real things I had here was we haven't discussed Chama Chacho's injury and mm-hmm. yeah. Texas. Tech that's is... the kind of thing that doesn't happen. If Chama Chacho is playing right. at least not to that extent. Te- Texas tech is not the biggest team in the world by any stretch. And it was both O'Banner and Bryson Williams. They just did what they wanted because, again, going back to this idea of Baylor has a very specific formula with this roster, and they don't have the same kind of problem-solving ability that last year's team did, right? They're not replacing Chamo Chachua with a similar player. Mm-hmm. It's more minutes for other guys. LJ Cryer got back into the fold here. They don't have another big. Mm-hmm. So Matthew Meyer probably gets some more minutes, but he's not the same kind of player, right? You had two rim protectors and guys who give you so much versatility defensively. You don't have a Mark Vital who can kind of 
improvise his way into defending those kind of players for reasons I still don't understand, but it's just the amazing skill he has at six, six or whatever he is, you know, that's not there. Kendall Brown, not built that way. And so it take, it really causes a problem because they don't have a like for like replacement and their, their system is built around having one of those guys on the court at all times. And then you can mix and match pieces from there. Obviously they can't do that. Hopefully he's back sooner than it looks like that looked nasty. Yeah. But that is a moving forward for Baylor. That is a real concern if he's going to be out headed into big 12 NCAA tournament, because it's kind of late to have to adjust everything you're doing when so much is built around those two guys, even though the box score doesn't always suggest. Right. Um, Two more things. Uh, One with not healthy or not Baylor getting outscored by 17 in the second half of a game that they were leading the first half after at halftime by seven, it's just not something you're expecting Mm -hmm. regardless of, and all of the things you just mentioned play into that, but there's a difference between losing a game because you just don't have that one thing and getting pretty much blown out in the second half um, to lose a game by 10 that you were up by seven at the end of halftime. The uh, the other thing I will say is that now all of a sudden Kansas is like going to cruise to a, to a big 12 title as long as they don't do anything silly. Texas Tech, um, yeah, Texas Tech has, as I mentioned, has the schedule to run the table, but it still very well might not be enough, even if they do. Yeah, Texas, right. or Kansas has got that cushion now. Right, and, and Kansas gets to play. Kansas has Baylor and Texas left, but it's Texas at home, Baylor on the road. The other four games they play are West Virginia, Kansas State, and TCU twice. Now, all of those teams are within are inside the top 65 at Kempom, but if you're looking for a quote-unquote easy portion of the big 12 schedule getting to play West Virginia, Kansas state TCU and TCU four times in five games. That's probably where you're going to look to, to find that quote unquote easy stretch. So as a result of Baylor, not being able to win that game, Baylor and Texas tech are now even tied at first second in the conference and Kansas is up two games. Uh, You know, they, Baylor and Texas Tech have now played 13 games. Kansas has only played 12, but um, the point still being that all of a sudden there's quite the cushion there for Kansas, and it's not like they have the toughest part of their schedule upcoming. Or, and more particular, more specifically, one of those teams has already played both of their heads head to heads against that team, mm-hmm. and that you know in Texas Tech. Yeah. The only the, the the other thing I want to throw out there as a positive for Scott Drew, you can as many things as that went wrong that we've been discussing here and not, not that it was a horrific result by any stretch of the imagination, but the things that they struggled with, they were 12, 21 from the free throw line, Texas tech was 24, 30. I mean, that's more or less the game right there. That's obviously very fixable. Got other concerns moving forward, but it was, it was James Akinjo was good. They didn't play all that poorly. It's just really tough to win especially against Texas Tech. That's a great home environment. You know, it, generally, it's just difficult to win on the road in the Big 12. and Really good Patrick, home environment. Yeah. Really when you, good. And when you got Patrick yeah. Mahomes in attendance, you know, it just takes Pat you to a whole other level. Pat Daddy Mahomes. Um, just by the way, I was scrolling through Twitter here, and Colin Gillespie's three-pointer to put Villanova up five with 30 seconds left. 
that might be the most wide open Colin Gillespie's ever been in his life. Yeah. And it's not like somebody else created dribble penetration to get him a good look. He just sort of dribbled sideways on the three point line. Yeah. It was a over, very fitting over, uh, over a half screen. Like it, it was one of those like fake screens where you're not actually trying to make contact with the guy. Yeah. You're just kind of standing there to stand there. Yeah. It was a fitting end to that game that but at that point, I mean, it's very obvious who you need to focus on. If it wasn't obvious at the very beginning, which it was, and still that ended up happening. Yeah. Like it is impressive. Like, like the guy leaves Jermaine Samuels and then drops back into the paint. His first step is backwards. Homie, homie, you got to go guard Colin Gillespie. That's, that's what you got. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's what, that's what I, I really, I feel like Cooley just went in there and said, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Mm-hmm. It's fixable. They were just, the decisions they made defensively were head scratching. He, Colin is so like, like I can almost see the like, oh, you're going to just let me shoot it this wide open. Cause he, like, he didn't even have to like cross over. He just dribbled to his left with his left hand. Anyways. Okay. You got anything else? We'll be back. We'll be back. Monday. Monday. I yep. have to do some thinking. No Thursday podcast next week. No had Thursday to get the days organized. No Thursday podcast this week. Um, but we will be back. No Thursday podcast next week, but we will be back on Monday. Um, in yeah, we're gonna, now and then. We're gonna sorry, we're gonna announce on the Thursday podcast this week. There will be no Thursday podcast this week. That would be impressive. That would be a bold strategy they've gotten. Um, not a whole lot happening before Saturday in the sport. There are a couple of Pac-12 games that are interesting, but none between top 25 teams. You get Texas, Texas, Texas Tech again on Saturday. San Francisco, nope. St. Mary's tonight. Do we? Do we get that? I apologize. I believe so. San Francisco saying all of a sudden neither of those teams are, are ranked, so I apologize. Yeah, San Francisco at St. Mary's. And I will say that we've quickly gotten to the point where like the other games in the WCC just don't really matter because nobody's actually putting any pressure on Gonzaga, like maybe we were hoping they would. Anyways, um top 20 matchup between Illinois and Michigan State on Saturday inside the Breslin Center. Alabama goes to Lexington to play Kentucky. There's some good at SEC games this weekend. Tennessee at Arkansas. Oregon at Arizona. Every time I see Oregon, I'm still like, oh. Even though, like, I mean, a respectable season they've turned it into. 17 and 8, 10 and 4 in the Pac-12. It's, they've turned it into a respectful, a respectful season. Providence is at Butler. Man, I can't wait for the dogs to knock off the Friars inside Hinkle Fieldhouse. Um, Rutgers gets Purdue. Rutgers, perhaps the hottest team in the Big Ten right now. They get to go to Purdue. Um, the Boilermakers, Matt Painter, I've never given up on you. But uh, some good games this weekend. We'll be back on Monday to, to talk about those things, if nothing else. That we will. Anything else you got to get off your chest here? I don't believe so. You need to watch, you need to watch some of the Genesis Invitational this weekend. Event. it's riviera it's awesome if it can get pretty firm and pretty fast in terms of it is it is a course that could be played as a u.s open venue if they like 
it, like it wouldn't take much to turn it into a U.S. Open venue. So it's a oh. tough course. It's a lot of fun, and it's one of the best fields all year outside of the majors. So oh oh oh. So this is about my personal. I thought that you you meant that I needed to watch this because there was some kind of this is this is for my personal enjoyment. No, this is for your personal. This is for you as somebody who. Uh, only likes golf where yes. par is a premium <laughs> i appreciate Which you is... thinking of me also i was I, I got into a master's rabbit hole the other night because that's just what i do sometimes it sure. started with the 2000 u.s open at pebble beach a documentary on tigers you know 15 stroke win at, at that u.s open but then it, then it turned into watching some of the final broadcast of the 2007 masters a a master's that Zach Johnson won and finished over par that year at the Masters. So I was thinking, I thought about you because you would have you would have gotten a kick out of that. It's very I feel bad for you. It's we're we're, we're going the other direction of, yeah, the, oh, it's very of, scary. of what you uh, of what you prefer in in terms of your your golf. I, you I am I am happy to go talk to whatever you know equipment people course designers. <laughs> I need to to explain why we need to put an end to this. Really, you just need to go to talk to the golfers, tell them to drink more beer and stop working out so much because until they do that, then there's just not a whole lot. That, Listen, there's not I, enough grass on the planet for courses to actually overpower players anymore. Listen, I need you to be less of an athlete, okay? Yeah, that's ex- that's basically what we're going for there. <laughs> but, um, hope you guys enjoy your weekend. We'll be back on Monday as Josh said. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. And we'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.